Well, good morning, Bethel family. It is so good to have you again joining us on a Sunday gathering online. And I'm here with Pastor Nate. Feels good again um, just to see what Jesus is doing in our community. Uh, Let me just say it was really fun. We started gathering, regathering last Sunday, both downtown and Chehalis. And it was wonderful to see a number of you who showed up for that. We have a few pictures of that. It was just great to see your eyeballs. And again, let me just say, if you're not ready to do that, please feel free to continue to to watch these gatherings online. But if you do come, we ask you to make sure that you're healthy, you check your temperature, come and bring a mask. That's really important. Uh, everybody's required to do that, bring your own mask. And, and really important that you are, are there and uh, you know just practicing social distancing, that whole thing. We are also asking you to go online though and register your attendance. Make sure you let us know which gathering you plan to attend. That really helps us. But it was really great to see all of you. I love the church. Uh, this last week, another thing that's been happening is just that many of you have been signing up on Referendum 90, and let me just say that. It's a really good thing that we can actually uh, put something on the, the ballot for November rather than the sex education thing that's gonna try to be taught in classes. I know it was the governor's, um, he signed that into law, but I just think it's better that people vote on something like that, and so thank you to many of you who are signing that or have signed that, and uh, I think they're really close to the signatures needed to put that on the ballot where it ought to be so people can vote on that, so that was a great thing, and Bethel's been a part of that, and I just want to also celebrate, we've been doing some great things around the Learning Center, the Bethel yeah. Kids Learning Center, we've been installing doors, I think there's five of these doors that got installed this week, it's great, exterior doors, and then inside, we're painting the walls, and there's all kinds of colors, the kids are going to love that, we welcomed, uh, I think, 25 or 20 kids back in June, and we had 50 in May, so we're back up to about 70, 75, and so thanks for your prayers and support that, it's just great to have these kids back inside mm-hmm. the building yeah. uh, where they belong. I also want to say it's just in, it's so important um, to be, uh, be the church and the meals continue to go out. Thank you for giving. Thank you for sending in your offerings. These meals have more than just garlic bread. They have the <laughs> bread of heaven in them. They have the bread of life in them. And you can see that these meals go out many times. We'll put a little scripture in there just to let them know that these meals come from the Lord. God is our provider. Mm. So thank you for giving support the many ways that we're serving in our community. Your gifts mean a lot, and so thank you. As a matter of fact, what I've noticed, uh, many of you are giving more than you ever have. I got a, a, a couple envelopes this last week. The accountant showed me a couple kids who have sent in their offerings in, in, in these little um, mails, in the mail. So I was just really impressed to see children learning generosity through this time. Thank you for giving. The church is, is never more the church, I think, is when we gather around people who have lost a loved one. And this happened this last week, Sally Blankenship, who attended downtown. Nate, you knew her very well. She served in our mission. She was a very active part and member of our church. And so we celebrated her life this last Monday out in Mossy Rock. It was a wonderful celebration. And uh, I love that this is what the church does really well, is it wraps its arms around the people who um, are part of our community and loves them and shows compassion to its families. So it was a very good week. So I wanna just pray, maybe Pastor Nate, could you pray again? Ask God to bless those who are giving, that God would just pour out the the blessings of heaven and then for those who are unable to give, maybe still walking through a struggle financially, 
maybe it's affected by this thing, would yeah. you just ask God to yeah. bless them? You bet. Yeah, Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. And in the midst of uh, a season of our, of our world that is very challenging, uh, we get to be a part of just spreading hope. And um, we want to be your hands and feet and your words and your mouth and everything just to represent who you are to this community. And so I thank you for those who are giving, uh, those who have um, continued to be able to do that. God, we thank you for the blessings and the provision that you provide. And for those who are struggling financially, God, we do ask that you would just open our eyes and open their eyes to see your hand of provision. And God, that if they have need, God, that um, you, would, you would provide every single need. Um, and so yes. we, we lift that up to you, God, and we, we just ask that you would use your church, um, not just Bethel, but the church in this country around the world to demonstrate the hope that we have in Jesus to this world, a world desperate for it. Help us to speak it, live it, and just uh, with everything that we have, that we bring, bring glory to you. And so we thank you for that. Would you speak to us today through your word and challenge us in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nate, for that. Well, uh, we're in this great series called Living in Between. Today, we're talking from 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with about verse 10 through 17 right in there. And I hope you've got your Bible. If not, open it up, crack it open, turn it on, whatever you want to do, and get ready for that. And then we're going to do communion at the end. I want to start out with a story I want to just share. And this story goes back a long ways, about almost 30 years ago. My family, we would vacation on the river. And we love the river and this certain spot that we would go all the time and we had rented a condo and we were packing up after a great week of vacation in the summertime and so I thought hey I'm just going to back my trailer my boat into this slot right here while we unload while we pack up the condo because it's closer and I didn't really notice the sign that said no trailer parking well I'm just there for a few minutes so I'm loading up the boat loading up the trailer loading up the car and this woman walks over to me and she goes hey sir you can't park there I said, what do you mean? She says, see that sign? No trailer parking. And I'm thinking, I just said, hey, I'm just gonna be here for a few minutes, just a few minutes and I'll be done. She says, no, you need to move the trailer. And I just thought to myself, under my breath, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna only be here 10 minutes. Well, she walked on. She was pretty upset that I wouldn't move and walked on and I finished up and did my thing and I was out of there in 30 minutes. I justified it. I wasn't gonna be here long. Well, interesting enough, about 25 years later, I'm swimming, we're back at the same spot in that condo, and I'm swimming in the pool, and this woman's uh, swimming next to me, and she, she looks over to me, and I'm looking at her and going, oh my goodness, this is the same woman that 25 years ago, she, anyway, demanded that I move my trailer, and I'm going, oh Jesus. Please don't let her recognize me because I saw her, I saw her eyes, I saw her face. I knew this was the same woman <laughs> that had seen me and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. This, and, and thankfully, I'm thinking, maybe she won't recognize because I, I lost all this hair, <laughs> right? Because 25 years ago, I looked completely different. But in that moment, there was this moment, this feeling of embarrassment. There was this feeling of, I did not leave a good testimony 25 years ago, and here I was confronted really by, I think, the Holy Spirit saying, what you do matters, and that you need to submit to rules and to authority because your life, in your actions, your behavior, make a difference, mm -hmm. right? So I, it, here's the question that we're gonna dive in today, and it's really about what our text is, is, is where have I blown my testimony because I was unwilling to submit to authority? We're gonna be dealing with that in just a few minutes. I mean, I know that 
in a world like today, it is, it's, it's easy to stand up to authority because it doesn't seem like it's the right thing. It doesn't have the science behind it, right? And here, here's the thing, parents. We're only teaching our kids to fail if we as parents, as grandparents, aren't willing to submit to authority. We're teaching our kids, oh, you don't have to do what the teacher asks, what the coach asks, what the law officer asks. So there's so much at stake at what we're gonna talk about today. So where have you blown your testimony? You know, because you wouldn't submit to authority, and that's kind of where we're going today. Nobody likes to be told what to do. It was with your daughter uh, the other day. I, we were asking Amber. We're Amber, trying really hard. We're trying hard. We asked Amber, "Would you sing?" No. Would you put your sunglasses on? No. But a few minutes later, she's got her sunglasses on and she's singing. Why wouldn't she do that? Of course, she knows how to do that, but she didn't want to be told to do that, right? She gets it from her mom. From her mom. (laughs) (laughs) We're so like that. And I know I'm so like that. I don't (laughs) like to be told what to do. And so in this text, Peter is going to be talking to us about really our behavior as followers of Christ. How are we to behave? How are we to respond to authority? We're going to get to that in a little bit, but here's a little bit of the background. Starting with verse 10. Here's what Peter says. He's saying this. When you claim to be a Christ follower, here's some important principles you need to follow. Here's what he says. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. That's a big game changer. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, that's a big word, sojourners, people who don't, you're not from this country, you're from someplace else, sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which war against your soul. Mm. Notice that it says fight against the war in your soul, not the war of our culture. Mm. You know, most of the war that I deal with isn't out there, it's right in here. It's the things that Kyle wants to do that somebody else is telling me I have to do differently. That's the bigger fight here. So I want to just jump in here. There's uh, the big elephant in America right now is is racism. And I want to just take a few minutes and just kind of lay out just some thoughts on this. We, I don't think any of us in the room can can really, there's so many places we can say where racism comes from. But we, and we could argue and talk about all day long where it comes from, but, but I really believe that we can all agree of what the cure is of racism. Um, so I, let's just talk about it. What did Jesus do about racism? And here's one of the coolest things we talked about even last week that Taylor and Nate, you guys talked about this idea that Jesus is the cornerstone. Yeah. He's the cornerstone. What does that mean? Taylor talked about two walls that come together, two completely different walls come together, and in that intersection, in those two walls, is the cornerstone. It's the joining stone. It's Mm -hmm. joining two different walls together. And here's what we know about Jesus. As a cornerstone unites two walls, Jesus unites two people, different people. Not just people who are the same, but different people. Different nationalities, different races, different values, different political agendas. Mm -hmm. That Jesus can bring people together who have very differing viewpoints. And he did that a lot. As a matter of fact, it was the, the Jews that were you know, really fighting. They said the Gentiles can't be a part of this group. They have different beliefs, different values. And it was really Jesus that said, no, 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 no. The gospel is for all. 
and it's for women, and it's for children. And Jesus fought for the, talk about fought for the rights of women who were belittled. They had as much right as a dog in that, in that day. He fought for the rights of children. Jesus brings people together. He reconciles colors, social groups, faith groups, male, female, husband, wife, all of us. He's the ultimate example also of, of a person who has been dealt with unjustly. If there's anybody who understands injustice, social injustice, he was betrayed, he was sold out, he was arrested, he was, he was falsely accused. And, uh, and so when we become a Christ follower, we're reborn into a new family uh, with Jesus. And we have new privileges as well. Now I want you to get this. Um, r- last week we, we read this from verse nine. It says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So God changes our identity. He changes our identity. This is big. I, um, I have come to believe that it's, it's loving when we acknowledge oppressed people. Jesus acknowledged oppressed people. That's the loving thing to do. So when you hear this phrase, Black Lives Matter, that could be clouded with other messages, and I get that, but until Black Lives Matter, not all lives matter. So our response sometimes has been my response, well, all lives matter, of course they do, but here's, here's the problem with that. If someone says to me, Black Lives Matter, and I respond with all lives matter, it sounds like I just minimized what they said. It sounds like that the point was that they were trying to make was not possible to be made now. In other words, if if Ember asks me, your daughter asks me, do you love me, Poppy? And I say, I love all my grandkids. I just minimized her. Uh, She may not feel the value that she needs to feel in that moment. What she needs to feel is, yes, Ember, your life matters. I love you. And I love your brothers, too, (laughs) right? That's the point I want to make. Ember needs to hear that. Um, for example, if you said and you, you told me that my friend has cancer, and if I were to say, well, a lot of people have cancer, what did I just tell you about your friend? I just minimized their value. I was insensitive to their need. So I want you just to consider those words for a minute. And you may have different thoughts about that, but I want you just to consider that. By saying all lives matter, we are really um, devaluing the ones who feel less valued. So yes, I'm gonna say black lives matter. Because when I say that black lives matter, then I'm saying all lives matter. And that's important. Let me, let me also just say this, and I, I, I don't want to sidetrack too much off of this message, but I do believe that there's um, a message that maybe, or a messenger that has sort of failed in, when we look at the riots and the protesting going on, I'm saddened, Nate, I am, I'm broken, my heart hurts, and I just wanna propose to you, because I've lived in uh, big cities, I've had a, a number of, of African black friends who are wonderful, and I have noticed something unique in the friends that were, um, who had children especially, that were, that were doing really well in life, there was a father figure, and in the other homes where I noticed that there was deep trouble, there was a father missing. And one of the things that I'm trying to look at when I see young people running on the streets, um, filled with rage, filled with hurt, 
I can't help wonder if there's not a father wound there. I'm not saying that in every case, but I can't help wonder that. And I'm just wondering if perhaps our, ch- our response as a church, as Christ followers, would be maybe what James says. He says this in James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. I wonder if, if we could, it might be hard to love a protester, but it's not hard to love an orphan. And if we would look at that through a different lens and go, wow, it could be that that's an orphan. That's a person that has a deep father wound running on those streets that needs the love of God. And maybe we can appeal that to our, to our own hearts and, 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 and turn that around. So I don't know, Nate, could, could we just pray? Maybe yeah. there's, this is a great moment for you who are watching. <clears throat> would you just pray and, have, and then ask Jesus just to change what needs to happen within you that you can recognize that there's a disparaging, there's a hole, there's something going on in our culture, for, for with, especially with our, our, our community, our black friends. Can we just pray that God would heal and, and fix that? Yeah. yeah Father, I just, um, just ask that you would just bring to people's minds the reality of who you are and um, God we see you in a certain way oftentimes because of the father that we have on this earth and um, God I just pray that that people uh, would would see who you are God mm-hmm. that um, they would um, have a heart that would be um, softened God and um, Lord for for those that are feeling so much pain so much anger so much frustration God that you would um, you would bring people into their lives Lord and I just ask that uh, for us um, that are watching these things God more so that we would have a heart for those that are hurting those that feel um that they have no place, no, el- no other recourse yes. than these things, God. Yeah. Those that are genuinely doing that, God, we pray for them. And God, for <laughs> there are those that are out there doing no good just to cause mayhem, God. Lord, we pray that there would be an end to that. Yes. But Lord, for our community, for our nation that mm. is hurting, Lord, we need your help. We need your guidance on how to step forward and to be a, to be a solution, to be a help in this issue, God. Yes. And so we just lift that up to you and, and just ask that you change our hearts and open our eyes. Amen. Um, in Jesus' name. Yes. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Nate. Well, let's go on here. Uh, what, is that, what does love require of us? Let's, let's go on a little further here. Verse 12, and then I'm going to hand it to Nate to take us through a couple of verses. Here's what verse 12 says this. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, or in other words, among the unbelievers. I want you to think about that. Among, not just the believers, but among the, the non-believers. Keep that conduct honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Mm. In other words, what Peter is saying here, I want your lives to be beautiful. I want them to be attractive. Let your life become beautiful and attractive among the unbelievers, such a way that it changes something in their hearts. You know, they were, they were living to, in a culture that was very hostile, just like what ours is towards the gospel. Uh, they were living at a time where um, the culture, uh, it was cynical, it was skeptical. 
the unbelievers, uh, they were suspicious towards the church, suspicious towards Christ followers, and they called the Christians names. Did you know that? They called them, they called them um, cannibals. Why did they call them cannibals? Well, because they said, we eat the Lord's flesh. body, flesh, and <laughs> drink his blood, right? That makes you a cannibal, right? And, and they referred to them as atheists. Why were Christ followers called atheists, because in that time Rome had many gods. They were pantheists, they believed in lots of gods, and yet Christians only believed in one true God. So they were called atheists, isn't that interesting? And so they were highly ridiculed in this culture. And here's Peter saying, here's how to retaliate, instead of retaliating, instead of protesting, there's another response. And so he goes on, here's the response I want you to have. Here's Peter, the one who who drew his sword when they came to arrest Jesus. Do you remember that? He's the one that says, I'm gonna take on the government. And he cuts off a soldier's ear. But now, what is Peter saying? He's saying, put your swords away. (laughs) Here's what Peter says, that same guy, he says, verse 13, I want you to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. These are Peter's words. I want you to submit, I want you to give way, I want you to consent, yield to every institution. Even, Even when you don't fully agree, even when you think, oh, the science doesn't support that, even when you feel like I have rights and freedoms, it doesn't say to do it only when you agree with the emperor or when you agree with the governor. What does it say? It says, for the Lord's sake. In other words, Peter's saying this, when you are living beautiful lives, you will silent the slander. You will silent the, 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 the person who's ridiculing you, the person who's making fun of you, the person who's, who's calling you names and bigots and hate, all those kinds of things. So he's saying, I want you to win the lost, not by clinging to your rights, but by honoring, by honoring. Notice he says, for the Lord's sake. Now this is big, this is really big. In other words, for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of bringing Christ into people's lives, for the sake of, of, of putting Jesus on their radar, I want you to honor the governor, honor the emperor. Don't speak rudely about them. So be careful what you post about them. All those things. We don't honor our governor because we like him. We don't honor the president because he's a good example. We honor for the Lord's sake, for the sake of the gospel. Verse 15 says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Yeah, this this is the will of God. Uh, that's a phrase right there that's very heavy because there aren't very many times in scripture where we hear it that clearly. This is the will of God. How many times have we asked, God, what is your will for me? You know, we want specifics in, in the direction for a, a move that we're gonna make or a career choice, but he's saying, Peter is saying in this case, this is the will of God for you. No matter what you're doing, what your career is, no matter what season of life you find yourself in, this is the will of God for you. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Our lives are to be a light to the world around us. That's the reason that we're called. 
The reason that we're called to be a part of this family, the reason that we are shown mercy is to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That the light that we live, that we show to the world around us, the words that we communicate, the the hope that we bring, the love that we bring, the joy that we bring, it it speaks life to a world that's in the darkness. They Mm -hmm. need to hear it and they need to see it. Uh, the early churches, we were just saying, they were, facing, they were facing a different kind of cynicism. They were facing the kind of cynicism of, of people watching something new, where we face a different kind of cynicism. We, we see a, a, a country that is watching us as Christians who's seen us for generations, and they've seen brokenness, and they've seen pain, and yeah. they've all been hurt. And, and so those that don't believe oftentimes have had encounters with Christians, even churches and leaders that, that have caused pain. And so they're watching us, and our lives matter. Our voices matter. The things that we say matters because it, it still impacts those around us. A life genuinely changed and humbly lived by the, by the Holy Spirit can still be a light. In our world around us today, if you live ge- your life genuinely changed and lived humbly by the power of the Holy Spirit, people still take notice of that. They need to see it. It doesn't mean that they're instantly gonna repent and turn to Jesus, but they'll see it and they, and they won't be able to speak evil against Jesus, because they will have at least one, hopefully more than one example of the love that's demonstrated through the believers. And our world needs to see it. They need to see us speak for those who are oppressed. They need to see it. They need to see us love in the midst of pain and disagreement and disunity Mm -hmm. that we can still love one another. Um, It's a beautiful thing. You know, in America, Christians, we have have a history (laughs) where the early church didn't. You know, our nation, going back to its very founding, has a history, and it, and it hasn't always been perfect. And we can recognize that. I think especially as white Christians, we can recognize that. Christians in America have been slave owners and racists. Christians have been complicit in a system that viewed peop, some people as less than others. Christians have been hurt in virtually every way possible. And so our lives and our voices matter in this culture, more than ever, that we could actually demonstrate this kind of, of love and, and mercy and, and, and justice that is proclaimed in the gospel to the world around us and show them who Jesus is. It shuts the mouths of foolish and ignorant people. And they may keep talking, but the people around them won't listen anymore. Because they're going, huh, that's not what I've seen from the church. Yep. That's not what I've seen from the Christians in my life. So we can shut their mouths in a very... Christ-like way. First <laughs> uh, Peter two sixteen says, "Live as people who are free, not using your freedoms as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Live as people who are free." It says, "As Christians, our freedom is not for us. My freedoms are not for me. Yeah. They're not just for my family. They're not meant to be used for my own benefit, for my own pleasure, for my own goodness." but to be a living servant of God. We have this privilege of being a part of the family of God. And with it comes a huge responsibility that we take that freedom and that hope and that joy that we have, we don't turn it in on ourselves. We don't close our eyes to people who are desperately in need of it. Jesus didn't do that. He purposely went out of his way to Samaria to meet the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman whom would have been despised by the Jews. She, didn't, she wasn't even sure she didn't, could talk to him. And he loved her. And he called her. He said, come. Go, go tell everybody. And she did. She went. She was the first person that got, the, got to go tell everybody. 
Come meet the man who's, who knows everything I've ever done. We are the representatives of Jesus to this community. If we use our freedoms for our own good, even if we don't use it just for doing evil, it, it, it serves the same thing. It ends up being a misrepresentation of the gospel when those freedoms are for us. That we become servants of God. Nobody likes to be a servant. Nobody likes to be identified as a servant. This means that we don't have our own will to decide what we do. We will do the will of our master. That means we don't get to feel better than other people. We get to look at others as better than ourselves. Jesus is our example in this, and he's our savior, and we follow him who put others' needs in front of his own. What happens in our lives, though, unfortunately, is that we live our entire lives, for some of us it's been our entire lives that we've lived, overlooking something painful, something hurtful, something dark. It's incredibly hard to then one day decide, you know what, that that thing is there and I've been missing it because it requires us to take a look and introspect and go, how did I miss that? How did I not see that pain? How did I not see that injustice? And this happened for me, you know, moving back to Centralia and coming and being a part of Bethel and, and the Hub City Mission and looking at people differently, people who didn't look like me or smell like me or act like me. Mm-hmm. And it made me think about, how, did, how have I missed this? How have I missed the opportunity to love people so glaring that I just overlooked it? And it, took, it takes a lot of... <laughs> spiritual repentance to come to a place of saying, I'm, I miss that. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to continue to miss that. And I think the same thing can happen when it comes to issues of racist, racism and injustice is there's a part of us that does have to recognize it. We don't have to take all the shame for it, but we can then move forward and go, I want to be a part of the solution that we could lend our voices, our freedoms, our privileges in support, in support to see the change that needs to happen. We don't have to support the entire movement and the, and the brokenness that, that we've seen in our country right now. But underlying it, the, the pain and, and the, the struggle, we can bring support to that for those who have felt oppressed, for those who are willing to go through the legal yep. processes of protesting peacefully right. and seeking changes in our laws and regulations and that we could become a, a nation that is under God with liberty and justice for all that everyone could feel that way. I think that's a goal that we have to be a part of. You know, do we need another George Floyd? Do we need another Breonna Taylor? Do we need another Ahmaud Arbery? Do we? Or can we see it? Can we recognize it, that there is a problem? Right now, with everything shut down, it's like we are forced to not look away, and it's painful, and I think some people want to look away. And it's causes a lot of damage because there's people that don't have any other distractions but let's be a part of the solution. Let's be a part of the solution. It goes on in verse 217. It says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Four phrases. Honor everyone. Honor is to regard and treat others with respect. It's that simple. This is the will of God. Honor everyone. Treat everyone with respect. Treat everyone like they are an image bearer of God. Regardless of what they've done, because we weren't loved because of what we'd done. We received mercy. Live like people who have received mercy. No matter, what, <laughs> no matter what people have said to us, we honor them. No matter what people do, we honor them. In that sense, this is a time for repentance, I think, as we think about this question, who is it that I struggle? Who is it that you struggle to honor? Hmm. 
Is it a specific person or is it a group of people? Who is it that you struggle to honor? And then goes on and says, love the brotherhood. Church, we are called to love each other. (laughs) We love each other even when we are different, even when we disagree, even when we're hurting, even when when somebody has caused me hurt. I, I love, I still have the call to love my brothers and sisters. No matter what they've done, this is hard. But this is the calling that Jesus gave us in John 15. He says, this is the commandment. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Again, to take my freedoms and to give them up for others. You are my friends. If you do what I command, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. You hear that? We come as servants, and Jesus says, when we, when we love the brotherhood, when we love each other, when we love and honor those around us, we actually move from servant to friend because we understand we are on the same page with Jesus. We are just doing it because he called us to do it. We're doing it because it's become a part of us. To love the brotherhood. It says, fear God. (laughs) It's a short sentence. I don't think it can get any shorter than two words. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Fear God. We need to know, and and Peter had mentioned this in chapter one, that God is watching. He's watching us and he won't be mocked. He's not fooled by our exterior, our words won't fool him. Even the things that we try to do to look good don't fool him. If it's not coming from a place of genuine trust and honor of God, it will be exposed and do damage. To fear God means to know there's a day that I'm going to give an account for what I did with this great gospel message that I've been given, for what I did with the grace that was poured out on me, what I did with the privileges that I have, I will be accountable for it. I need to fear God in that sense. Not that he's gonna send me to hell. If I believe in Jesus, I don't need to fear that. But that I could come and stand before him and, be, and not have made every effort, not have made every, taken every opportunity to, to fulfill this call in my life. Then it says, honor the emperor. <laughs> Going back to what you were saying, yeah. Kyle. <laughs> to honor the emperor. We don't have an emperor in our country. We don't even have, we don't have a king. We have a president. And he's a person who is, he's the head of our country right now. It doesn't matter that we elect him. We have to honor him. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you disagree. We honor him. And this goes for whoever's sitting in the office our current president, president is not, he's not the ex, ex, exclusion of this. We have to honor the president. Leadership is hard. It comes with a heavy weight. Nobody's perfect at it. But as my Uncle Dan says, uh, leadership isn't something that you get to turn on and off. Mm-hmm. So every, as we look at our president, we need to honor and pray for him yep. and our leadership and know that, you know, at what we say, every tweet matters Every post matters. Every comment matters. So we need to give grace. We need to to do that regardless of what has been done. To give grace, to speak with respect. 
You know, this week has been one of the hardest weeks I think our country has faced in a long time. On top of everything else that's going on, it's just been a really tough week. It's heartbreaking and it's heavy. And we have a calling in the midst of it. This isn't our home. (laughs) Don't lose sight of that. Seriously, we cannot get our identity caught up in being American, in being right. We are, our identity is in him. Our identity is to be a part of this family, the people of God, to proclaim his excellencies in a world that des- that's desperate for it. Yeah. And even though there's a lot of tension in our culture right now, this requires us, I think as Peter was saying earlier, to gird up the loins of our mind, mm-hmm. to be sober-minded, to take into consideration everything that we do so that it could point people to Jesus. And that's our goal. Yeah. So good, Nate. As we, as we close, Paul even put it in these words in, in Corinthians. I love it. 1 Corinthians 9.22. He says, to the weak, Paul said, I become weak. Uh, to win the weak. So I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul's basically saying, you might feel great and healthy. You might feel like you don't have to wear a mask. But Paul says, I'm gonna put one on so that I can win the weak. So I can be careful that I'm not stepping on the toes of the vulnerable. Or even the person who has different thoughts or different values. He says, I'm gonna become weak to win the weak. I'm gonna cooperate, right? I'm not gonna trump my own values. So today we come to a place, um, I really believe that um, this psychologist, let me just read this a little bit. His name is Jack Lipton, and he really summed it up in a thought that he brought to a psychology convention, and I wanna just read this. He says, the way we ought to operate today, Nate, he says it's kinda like an orchestra, and you've played in orchestras before, Mm -hmm. but this was his description of how we ought to view one another in times like this. Here's what he he writes, and he's writing to um, Union College. He stood up and described to all these psychologists at Union College, he says, this is what it ought to look like. This is how we ought to perceive each other. He says, the percussionists in in an orchestra were viewed as insensitive, unintelligent, and hard of hearing, yet (laughs) fun-loving. String players were seen as arrogant, stuffy, and unathletic. Anybody knows string players? Uh, The orchestra members overwhelmingly chose loud as the primary adjective to describe the brass players. (laughs) Woodwind, that's you. Woodwind players seem to be held in the highest esteem, described as quiet and meticulous, though a bit egotistical. Interesting findings to say the least. With such widely divergent personalities and perceptions, how could an orchestra ever come together to make such wonderful music? And the answer is simple. Regardless of how those musicians viewed each other, they subordinate their feelings and biases to the leadership of the conductor. Under his guidance, under the conductor's guidance, all those diverse groups came together and served one purpose, unified. And for us, the the conductor is none other but Jesus. Mm. That we would, as diverse as different as we all are. Jesus is the cornerstone. He brings the two ideas, the two walls, the two political parties. He brings them together and unifies us.
And I'm praying, I want that. I'm, I need that, and we need that in America. We need that as Christ followers. So the two questions I want to just ask you as we conclude here today and just think about this uh, further. Where have I, I want you to ask yourself, where have I dishonored authority by publicly putting them down? Where have you done that? Has that been a post? Has it been a conversation? Think about that. And then maybe even more importantly, this last thought, where have I pushed to be right, but lost sight of love? Pushed to be right, fought for the right, <laughs> and then lost sight. I know I did it. I did it to that woman 30 years ago by putting my trailer where it wasn't supposed to be. And I lived with that for 30 years until I saw her again and I remembered, man, I blew my testimony because I wouldn't submit to authority. Even though I felt that was justified and put my trailer there, I blew an opportunity and I don't want you to. Let's not be a clanging symbol because we leave love out. Let's not be a clanging group of people. Let's let love trump, let's let love lead initiate. Would you pray with me today? Would you just bow right there? Just let the Holy Spirit examine your heart and your motives on issues, on things that are going around. I don't know where you sit with the things that we've talked about. I know there's a lot of hot buttons, but the greatest thing you can do right now is say, Jesus, I want to submit to your authority, and when I do that, it's much easier to submit to other authorities. It's much easier to support to Uh, to support a president that I don't agree with or to support a governor that I don't agree with or with laws or masks that I don't want to wear. But if I think in terms of for the Lord's sake, for the sake of the gospel, I am willing to give up my freedoms, my rights. I'm willing to become weak so that I can win the weak. And Jesus, we ask for forgiveness I ask for forgiveness where I have not been willing to subject or submit my thoughts and my heart and my actions, my behavior to authority. Lord, may you forgive me for that. Help us, help me, help us as a people, as a church to always let love initiate. Father, thank you. People are looking, and I pray that the beautiful, attractive lives that we live will silence the slander of our culture today. That they'll look at the church and they'll go, wow, what an example of submitting themselves to Jesus. What an example of love for the community. Lord, may we be that, a a light in the darkness. Mm -hmm. In your good name we pray, amen. Amen. As we close the gathering, we're going to receive communion, and you can take that at home. Um, and you know, as we think about this part of being part of the family of God, it's because of what Jesus has done. And so every week we we take a moment and we remember. So Jesus told us to do. He told the disciples, "Do this in remembrance of me." And he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, "This is my body for you that I that I sacrifice for you." He took the cup and he said, this represents a new covenant in my blood, not based on race, mm-hmm. but based on grace, <laughs> based on what Jesus has done, that he's called us. And so when we eat the 
bread or the cracker or whatever you have and we drink the, the juice, we're reminded that he sacrificed for us, that he didn't use his freedoms to cover up evil, but he served God and he served that purpose so that we could come into this relationship too. So we thank him for that this morning. You can, in just a moment, you can participate with the band as they sing and then they'll lead us through that.